Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. the Women's Running Podcast. I spoke to Susanna Gill back in November 2019 in a Swish office in London. You may occasionally hear the odd bit of laughter from clever office people or the sound of an expensive heel, but this is London and this is very much pre-lockdown when both laughter and high heels were in abundance. My super high-tech recording equipment falls over at the beginning, but in the spirit of authenticity, I've kept it in. Back in January 2019, Susanna won the Women's World Marathon Challenge. She did this by running seven marathons on seven continents in seven days. She's written a fantastic book about this called Running Around the World, which is out now. We wanted to chat to her about her experience and how her win at times was on a knife edge. We spoke to her about why she decided to do it in the first place, what it was like going from running a marathon in freezing Antarctica to boiling hot Cape Town, and at what point she first realised she was going to smash it. We also talked about running mantras, toffee crisps, and runners who hate strength training. We have a shared love of the running school based in London and Bristol, so we talk about how wonderful that is, and how movement is the key to fixing you. This chat took place in the time before Corona, so we talk about all the spring marathons she's training for too. I know that while her goals may have changed, she will only have reset them. She clearly loves a challenge. We also had time to offer up a small ode to the London Marathon because, okay, it hasn't happened as we would have hoped in April, but that doesn't mean we love it any less. So here we go, on with the pod. Have you got the latest copy of Women's Running? If you're missing it, the easiest way to get hold of a copy is to go to our online shop at shop.womensrunning.co.uk. Or you could get it delivered direct to your door every month by subscribing. If you prefer instant access, then digital is for you. You can buy the digital edition at pocketmags.com or download the app to your phone or tablet via your app store and you can read it straight away wherever you are. For all the different ways to read the magazine, go to shop 
www.womensrunning.co.uk. Before we talk about running, which we will just love to do and we will do forever and ever, I just want to know more about you. I want to know what you did before running, what you do outside of running. What, who are you? Yeah, outside running. Um, oh, I knew that was going to happen. Right. Like that you. is this thing. How am I going to make that stand up? Can it, don't want to rest on that. Yeah. If I'm not going to edit this out, this is the um, the highly complex recording equipment yeah. falling over on the table. Which we've now secured. Yes. <laughs> so the funny thing is, I actually consider myself a runner more than I think consider myself anything else. So actually when you say, what well, am I outside of runner, I'm sort of trying to feel a bit blank now. <laughs> um, I mean, I was always quite sporty at school, but nothing particularly extraordinary. I've ridden horses all my life, so I guess I'd call that, that was a big chapter of my life. And I would still love to go back and do more riding horses. But running is really something that's sort of come to define me. And it's funny, people come up to you now, and, and I work in, in the horse racing and the betting industry, but people know me as the girl that runs marathons. So before they discuss my day job, it's always always comes back to running. Um, so what is, is your day job? So I am Director of Communications and Corporate Affairs for the UK Tote Group, which we've just bought the Tote, which is a 90-year-old business that has betting on horse racing. And before that, I worked worked in um, in horse racing for Arena Racing Company, which runs 16 race courses. Um, so very much heavily involved in racing. And before that, I worked for Bet First. So, and before that, I started my career in Parliament as a researcher. So I always think the things I, I know a little bit about are politics, horse racing and betting. And the Tote's a wonderful place to work because it kind of brings all of those three things together. And I work with nice people as well who we all embrace sport. We know we're part, part of the reason we're here is we love horse racing and we love sport, mm-hmm. which makes it easier when you talk about what you're doing at the weekend. Most of us are off either watching racing, going racing, a few runners in the office, golfing. Nice do you still ride? To work. Not riding at the moment, but yeah, I do from time to time get on a horse. I'm lucky enough I can pop to Lambourne and go and ride a racehorse from time to time, which is good fun if you want to go a bit faster. Um, so yeah, I still try and do plenty of other things when not running. And so when you do run, can you tell us, well, what, what kind of running are you doing now? I'm, I will hark back to the beginning of the year in, in a bit. In a, at the moment, I'm mm. having a bit of an off-season, which is nice. Um, I finished the year running Chester Marathon and Chicago Marathon in October, which were both brilliant marathons. But my body had just got to the point where it had gone, you've gone to the well one, two, one, one time too many um, I basically just, I mean, I finished Chicago in 3.22, which is a perfectly reasonable marathon time. But <laughs> Reasonable, I, she says. <laughs> I, can, I know I can go faster, oh my God. but that day the legs just said, no, we're tired. So I've had about a month of just doing nice running. So, I mean, I went out, it was Sunday yesterday and it was nice weather. So I went out and did two hours, but under absolutely no pressure at all. And I was thinking back to this time last year, that, was a bit, that would have been a four-hour run. There's a big difference between a two and a four-hour run, physically and mentally. Um, but I am about to start some strength work through the winter, uh, which Mike Antonides, my coach at the running school, says that I have to do if I'm going to get faster. And like most runners, I actually like running. I don't really, I mean, going to the gym and doing weights, I do it because, I'm one, I know I have to to stay injury-free. And two, I do know I've got to get stronger if I want to get faster, which I do next year. So apparently I'm going to be doing three strength sessions a week. I've never done three strength sessions a week. So it's going to be interesting to see how I, how I take that on. I will still be doing some running at the same time, definitely. So, um, well, I think we can't really go further without going backwards. I feel like we just have to address 
the most important elephant in the room, which is the 777 that you did in, when was that this year? So World Marathon Challenge was end of January, Mm -hmm. first week of February this year. So what is the World Marathon Challenge? It's a very, very special running event. There isn't really anyone like anything else like this in the world. You aim to run seven marathons on seven continents in seven days. So that's 295 kilometres in 168 hours, but also with about 55,000 kilometres of travelling. Sounds achievable. Um, yeah. Uh, it was first first achieved by Sir Ronald Fines in 2003, although he didn't technically run on Antarctica, the main body. He ran in the Falklands, but he covered. He ticked off the um, seven continents. Amazingly, having had a heart attack a couple of months before, phenomenal effort. But World Marathon really evolved in 2015 when Richard Donovan, the race organizer, set up the company World Marathon Challenge and made it accessible because he he did the coordination for it and got you organised. And so it's something that was always in the back of my mind. I never, ever thought I would actually do it. Why was it in the back of your mind? I just thought it's the beautiful symmetry of it, the idea of the seven marathons, the seven days, the seven continents. And like what I loved is it's not just a running challenge. It's about how you look after yourself in between. Um, it's the mental bit. You've got to be... You've got to basically put in seven... If you want to be competitive, you've got to put in seven really, really consistent performances. And I loved that challenge of seeing whether I could do that through the week. Because like, we all know sport's so much more than just a physical thing. It's, it's about what you do mentally as well. And I just love that, and I thought it has a real neat fit. I think I've probably got a bit of mild OCD, so that, that neat fit into a week, to me, just seemed the most wonderful challenge to take on. And also sort of doable, but also extraordinary at the same time. Um, and with, with the um, advent of World Marathon Challenge as a company, it became a bit more doable. So they've been running it every year since 2015. But I wasn't aware of that until the beginning of 2018 when I just, I literally, I did the January thing. You know how we all come back to work and we think, right, what am I going to do this year? And I just Googled seven marathons on seven continents in seven days. And World Marathon Challenge popped up. And so I then thought, oh, hang on, I'll just I'll have a look at this. There's no there's no harm doing that, is there? Sent off a little inquiry email that you can do through the website. And amazingly, Rich Donovan replied and said, yeah, we've got some spaces. You need to fill out this form and let me know your experience, how you respond to different environments, kind of food, food intolerances or things you like to eat, just to get you to know whether you're the sort of type of person that might take on this challenge. So I thought, well, there's no harm completing that form either. So I did that. And then he said, and it was about March by this point, he said, well, you can have a place, if you like, for the following January. And then it becomes quite real. And I completely kind of lost my nerve and and basically didn't enter all summer. Uh, And I was changing jobs and moving house as well. And it was all just too much to commit. And then something, by the end of August, I just went, I have to do this thing. I just, I will so regret being old and looking back and watching other people do this challenge and think I was too I was too much of a scaredy cat to do it. And so I signed up and I mean when I did sign up in the end of August, I was someone that yes, I could run a decent marathon, but I would be very, very sore the next day. So what so what the, marathons had you done up to that point? So what I had run I mean I'd run a good few marathons. I was at about thirty five marathons, but very much spaced out. The most I'd ever done in a year was probably five or six. And yeah, I could. I went under three hours a few times, but I mean, I would hobble into the office the next day. It wasn't. It wasn't that I did them like a breeze and, and thought, oh yeah, running one the next day would be fine. I mean, the most I was doing was getting on the cross trainer for twenty minutes the next day to just try and move. So I genuinely didn't know how I was going to do this. 
but once you've signed up and other people have signed up and you think, well, I'm committed now, I have to do it. And it was a real leap into the unknown. A bit like when you stand on that start line to your first marathon and you're going to run further than you've ever run before in one go. And you just think, I'm not sure how I'm going to do this. And, and everyone responds differently. Yeah. But it's amazing what you can do once you're committed and you just give it a go. So how did you do it? What did you, how did you approach your training? So my first port of call was to ring up Mike Antonidis at the running school. Who we um, both know. Who is an absolute legend. Yes, um, a miracle worker. He, he, there's no one really that knows more about running. And I just, I knew, one, I couldn't write myself a training programme that would be tough enough, nor, nor did I know enough. I mean, I'm a qualified personal trainer, but that's very different to being able to get yourself very fit for a unique challenge. But I also knew I'd go lame. I knew if I put that amount of running that I knew I needed to do, I was going to be unsound unless I had people helping me on my technique and all those inevitable niggles and things that you get. And so I thought, well, the only person I know is Mike. And I'd worked with the running school for about 18 months. Not massively, but I'd done, I'd done a sort of session every couple of weeks, um, sometimes a slightly longer gap maybe. And they'd really helped me just get the technique a bit more solid. I'd had a knee operation on my right knee, and so that doesn't have very much cartilage left in it, but that doesn't seem to make any difference now. Um, because my technique is that much more solid and they just it was really interesting working with them but I had to say I haven't focused on anything specific with them other than just improving my running technique but I thought I definitely need someone I don't know anyone else other than Mike he seems to be absolutely brilliant give him a call Um, and actually uh, I thought the conversation was very straightforward we had it and I thought when I when Mike said okay yeah I'll coach you for that for me I thought brilliant someone else believes I can do this when Mike and I reflected on this afterwards, he didn't necessarily think I could do it at all, but he didn't want to obviously give that impression. <laughs> he, he, he'd, he'd never coached anyone to do this challenge either, so it was a bit of a step into the unknown for both of us. We knew each other, but not that well to know whether we were going to get on as a, as a, as a coach and a, and a runner, and what I've discovered is that relationship is massively important. Um, he didn't know if I was going to be committed enough to put in the hours and the, and the effort that it was going to take. So um, how much time between contacting him and the 777, how much time was that? Five months, right. which is not a vast amount of time. Because again, <laughs> no. when, I, when we had this conversation, Mike thought, oh, well, this must be like a year away or something. And I said, yeah, no, it's at the end of January. And he, he was like, right, that's not a vast amount of time, is it? That's five months. It's 21 weeks was the training program in the end. Ooh, uh, okay. So obviously I did have the baseline fitness of running for the last 10 years. But we cranked it up pretty quickly from what I was used to doing. Um, it, evolved, it evolved really from me doing sort of nice long runs at the weekend and then whatever I could fit in in the week to a much more structured program yeah. where I was doing a couple of interval sessions every week, um, a training session at the running school, and then two really long runs at the weekend. So not going out for 90 minutes. I was going out for three, four hours by myself. And then or I was back. going racing, yeah, and mm-hmm. the and the back to back nature of it. I mean, if I did a long run on a Saturday, I would never normally have done a long run on a Sunday. It would be one or the other. This was like back to back, and you're going to do the same next weekend, and you're putting interval sessions in between, um, and it it was eye opening as to a little sort of window as to how professionals train. I mean, I was sort of wasn't getting quite at that level, but it's the relentlessness of it, mm. and it doesn't matter if you don't feel like doing it or you're having a bad day, you have to do it. It's the, that's what builds up that strength, both physical and mental. Because the thing I discovered that was really interesting was when I first started doing interval sessions, I'd never done them before. And they're really hard mentally because I do things like 
20 90 second sprints with 90 seconds in between it actually takes quite a long time to do once you've got the warm-up and the cool down as well so it's probably already 6 30 in the evening after work so rather than go for a nice kind of 40 minute run and be done mm. i was like on the treadmill going on the treadmill off the treadmill on the treadmill off the treadmill <coughs> and, and the first time you do it mentally you just want to run out of the gym and never do it again yeah but within a couple of months you're just in the zone and you can just put yourself into that training zone that even if you're not having the best day and they might not be the best set of intervals you can do you can just keep doing them and that gives you a certain confidence that you can actually stick at something and get better at it and you do get physically fitter as well and so over the course of sort of three or four months i got totally into the groove of training really really hard were the did you have any injuries um nothing major uh i had but I gave my actually the only injury which was a quite funny one was when I over Christmas when I'd done a lot of running I had about a week which was kind of meant to be quite loads down just light training uh, and all I did was I, I did some at work when I was uh, not with Mike for a week on with the exercise bands that we all use to strengthen up our glutes and hamstrings but for some reason I overdid it or I didn't warm up properly anyway I caused myself to have such tight glutes and hamstrings that they started pulling on my back and then Dahlia, who's the wonderful physio at the running school, had to un- sort of uh, un-tighten me once I got back <laughs> the first week of January. So no, my only major injury was self-induced. <laughs> and I got cold along the way, like everyone does in winter. But no, that I was really focused. Uh, and I, I think actually, although the tight time frame of five months made it really tough to get fit in that time, it also helped because you knew there was a beginning, middle and end. If you were doing it for sort of 18 months, and it was such a it was a prospect that was so far away it would yeah. be harder to stay focused mm-hmm. whereas i knew on the 28th of january i was flying out to cape town to take this challenge on so i needed to go like all guns blazing until yeah. we got there which i think actually made it mentally a bit easier to do so so um take us up to that start line then so you flew from so all arrived in cape town yeah uh, we all met there um so how many of you 40 runners yeah. um and about 12 support team and photographers and organisers, team doctor, and then we also had support teams in each of the locations that we went to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, we meet there and you have a briefing and you get your number, which makes it feel very real. And I was number 13, which I quite liked. <laughs> Not a number you forget. Uh, you also have a briefing about flying to Antarctica. That makes it a little bit more real. What, what, um, what did you need to know about just that? Just needed to know how we were landing and what we were doing when we got onto the ice and where you're going and just, yeah. <sighs> But not not your usual sort of short haul flight, um, and then you wake up very early one morning and you are off to Antarctica. And again, a bit like I never thought I was going to run seven marathons in a week. I never thought I was going to go to seven continents, including Antarctica. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, we all flew flew there, and you land, and it's just the most extraordinary place. Like you can't really do it justice. Um, it's just beautiful. I mean, I don't quite know how people live there or do long amounts of research time because it's just so different to anywhere else in the world. Um, but we got out on the ice there and I knew that I wasn't going to be great running on the ice because I'm quite big for a marathon runner um, and, and that's what turned out it's hard work and it was quite some of the going was a bit inconsistent so some bits were icy some bits your feet kind of stuck in but um, it was just a case of it was also the first marathon so it was really a case of just getting it done and not getting injured or doing anything stupid Yeah. Uh, so I, in the end I ran that in 3.53 which I was pretty happy with that was sort of under four hours happy, very happy with that and that's completely on ice yes on the snow. it's on a, on a looped course where you do about six laps in terms of kit then what? so yeah. very similar to a cold day here layers 
A couple of pairs of socks, buff around my face. That was good for like the wind chill factor. Um, I actually wore cat. I wore a headband rather than a hat because my head gets so hot. So I was like, then the heat escape. Um, yeah, gloves that I actually took on and off because I'd get hot as well. But yeah, just just layers. Some people wore more stuff, but I get so hot running. Um, actually, Michael Warden, the, the guy who uh, set the men's world record, that year he was down to his shorts by the end, which was a step too far for, for the rest of us. But yeah, you do get hot, but then you get very, very cold very quickly. And they have these huts you can change in, so you wanted to get back in there and get warm straight away. Um, something I should have asked at the beginning, how many women were running... 15 women, 15 women. 25 men, yeah. And most people were doing the full marathon challenge, a small handful of people were doing the half marathon challenge. Um, so, yeah, you can feel free to, if you want to make it more accessible, you can do seven half marathons in the week if you want. Sounds amazing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Did you know any of them before? No, not at all. The only thing I knew was they'd done profiles of all of us on the World Marathon Challenge website. But otherwise, no. Some people came as small groups and had known each other. Uh, Michael Warden was running it for a second time so but like everything in the running world you just you talk about running actually one of the things I really love is that if you ask I mean I, I feel like you kind of know everyone that you travelled the world with but if you ask me what anyone's jobs were I couldn't really tell you we didn't discuss boring stuff like that we just talked about running and which where we'd been in the world running and what runs we'd done and how we were feeling and whether we were really hungry or <laughs> tired or whatever it was very much about that week it wasn't the rest of life just sort of stood still and went away really we were just in that plane together just going around the world so you finished antarctic yeah and then what next and then we flew back to cape town overnight landing quite early and it was time for cape town marathon which couldn't have been more different to antarctica really really hot beautiful if you were sat out having a beer pretty hot to be running a marathon but we got going about half past eight so just before it got really hot and we were running up and down the seafront there which is wonderful again doing loops this was four loops with an extra 2k at the end um and then I, I was really happy to be back on tarmac that was just i remember just thinking the first few k this is lovely i can actually <laughs> get my feet down and get into a rhythm here um and it, it this is when it kind of appeared that it was going to be quite competitive between the top women um there were a couple of other very good women who were professional runners um christina from denmark uh and stephanie from france and they were both really good runners when i looked at their form running i was like you're definitely gonna run better than me but somehow i could always just keep up a slightly higher tempo than them it was pretty marginal but that's when i went off in front in cape Town for the first time and i thought wow i'm actually might win a world marathon challenge marathon i mean i didn't really know what i was going to expect yeah, across the line and, and, and ran that in um, 3.24. Um, I thought, wow, well, I've won one. That's pretty good. That's whatever, pretty whatever, good. whatever the rest of the week does, I'm, I'm really happy with that. Went and had a great burger and chips afterwards. <laughs> um, I think a lot about food when I'm running. Um, and then we were off to, after that, we were off to Perth for the third race. So what's the gap between finishing the marathon and getting So everyone has eight hours to finish the marathon. So when you're running it in under four, you've got a little bit of time. So hence I could go and find burger and chips. And we had a couple of buses that took us to the airport. So we had a bit of time in the airport. But time becomes... It's completely different to how you normally travel. Normally, when we get to an airport, we're all going there to go somewhere, and you want to try and get there as quickly as possible. It doesn't matter, even if you're lucky enough to fly business class. Um, it's, however luxurious it is, you just want to get to where you're going. Mm. This was completely different. When I sat in Cape Town Airport waiting to get on the plane, I didn't mind how long it took to get to Perth. I just needed some time and some rest. 
And you were like, well, if the, if the flight takes however long it does, brilliant. That's just resting time. So it completely changes your attitude to travel. And probably subsequently, I'm more relaxed about travel. You just learn to embrace getting in your seat and you're eating, you're drinking, you're resting, you're sleeping. And that's what you needed to do because you knew once you got off the plane the other end, you had another 26 miles to run, um, which doesn't matter how many times you do it, they're still really hard. So, yeah, it's very much a different attitude to flying. I was also delighted that the plane didn't have Wi-Fi. So I'd get in my seat, turn my phone off, read a book and fall asleep, which was brilliant. Whereas I'm sure if I had Wi-Fi, I've been checking social media and all the rest of the things we do that are um, a waste of time sometimes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Keep you awake when you needed to sleep. That mm-hmm. was the main thing. So, yeah, and on the flight to Perth, I realised my hamstrings were, were getting pretty tight because I'd run two marathons. We'd all run two marathons in 24 hours. Yeah. Uh, luckily, Christina very kindly had one of those short foam rollers, which if anyone wants to come and do this challenge, take a foam roller with you because, <laughs> oh, it, it hurts. Yes, but wow, it was, it, it was amazing. Um, that really, really helped. And I did quite a lot of sort of lying on the floor, stretching. I actually loved putting my feet up against the side of the plane because um, you can stretch your hamstrings and you drain all the blood out of your feet and everything. It's lovely. You feel great. I'll just <laughs> sit there for about 10 minutes and think, right, I better get off the floor. Um, so, yeah, got into, got into Perth. By this stage, you're sort of stepping into the unknown because I'd done back-to-back marathons and training. And, in fact, before Christmas, I'd run six in nine days, but I'd never done three in a row. I'd always had those days in between. So... It was, a, it was a nighttime run and it was nice and warm. It was perfect conditions. I started running and the strange thing happened was I actually felt better through the race. By the end, I was almost less tired than I was at the beginning. My hamstrings were less tight. I was in a nice rhythm. Obviously, you know, you're physically tired because you've run 26 miles, but I wasn't deteriorating. I didn't feel more achy or more sore. Um, so obviously, I think the training that we'd done was working. My body was responding to wow. the challenge as it yeah. needed to. Um, Australian hosts were great. They, they fired up the barbecue for us. Um, in the end of the end of the run, it was about four o'clock in the morning. Um, but then but you, but, you won this one as well. Yeah, I was just out in front, so it was always I was out in front, and then Christina and Stephanie were really close behind me, sort of two or three minutes, never more than that. So, although I was out in front, I was never comfortably out in front. But in a way, that's a really good thing because it keeps you focused, and like all of our times were faster because we were all racing each other. Um, so yeah, I win the second race that I was going to win. You, were you aware of them being that? Yeah, because when you're doing looped courses, you can turn back on yourself. So you got, it was quite helpful. You had a constant reminder of where you were in comparison to the other runners. Um, and that helps keep you going as well. Um, it definitely yeah, keeps you focused. Yes, yeah, so what next? So what next? So then we have a nice long flight into Dubai. So again, just it's all about recovery time. Um, this was obviously going to take us to halfway so the halfway point of Dubai would be halfway through the whole thing um, I'd, been, I'd done the Dubai Marathon um, a couple of years before so it kind of felt familiar um, and we ended up we were running up and down the beachfront along a, a running trail there again another nighttime run so it was nice and cool um, and here yeah I felt, I felt okay I was pretty happy with how I was feeling at this point everything was holding together I was um surprised by how good I felt it's like oh the training is working and it was a very similar race to Perth actually I was out in front and then um Stephanie finished second and Christina was third but again six you know three or four minutes behind each time it was margins weren't weren't that massive but it was a big psychological point to get over halfway at that point but Mike had said to me and this is something I remembered at the time I can basically train you to run four marathons but five six and seven are going to be in your head 
because that's a step into the unknown. Yeah. No one can really train for that. It's quite unique. So I remember as we drove away on the bus to the airport, just like pressing a big reset button in my head and thinking, right, whatever you've done now is great, but what's to come is actually the real race now because this is the bit that will determine how well you will do. Everyone can do the one to four. Yeah. Five, six and seven is going to be the tough bit. Um, and it, that's how it turned out. So did you have any kind of, um, was there any sort of tricks that you used? Yeah, I mean, as well as physically preparing me for the contest, um, Mike had also, we'd done quite a lot of mental preparation. So I remember the very first session I walked in at the beginning of September, before I was allowed anywhere near the treadmill, um, Mike handed me two books to read. Uh, One is The Art of Mental Training, which is a really interesting book that sort of gets into the mentality of champions and how you can give yourself that mentality and it tells you to come up with a mantra and that's the thing that you say to yourself when you need to keep yourself going and everyone's mantra will be different but you have to find what it is that works for you what works for you well i say that i'm strong i'm loving this and then push push and the reason for those those three little things are that when i'm when i say i'm strong i'm reminding myself all the training that i've done if i'm not actually physically that strong put me in a weight session of a of a, of a gym and i'm pretty rubbish but i am <laughs> physically and mentally strong when i need to be um i'm loving this i try and remind myself running to me is an utter privilege to do it and that I'd chosen to do this challenge, so there's no point moaning about it. Get on and get on with it. And then, yeah, the push-push was that sort of, right, you're here right now, on you go. If you've got any negative thoughts, get rid of them right now because yeah, there's no time for that. You've got to keep thinking about the next stride and the next mile and the next race. And that I said that to my, I must have said that to myself hundreds of times over those 168 hours, and it always worked. I didn't let the negative thoughts ever ever come in. Amazing. So it's a, it's, a, it's a fascinating book to read. I've never read any book like it. The other book that was very good is a book called Grit by Dr. Angela Duckworth, mm-hmm. which is kind of the other name for it would be the myth of talent. Um, but it's all about determination and how you get where you need to get to because you want to get there and you're willing to work for it as opposed to because you're born talented the kind of the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset and that's another fantastic book to read whatever you want to achieve in life but those are two books that I sort of go back and think about regularly still um so I had all of that in my head so I was kind of ready for the tough bit when it came so tell us Um, about the tough bit then tough bit came in Madrid uh we had an eight-hour flight from Dubai to Madrid so enough time to rest but I had done that British thing of assuming Madrid would be warm because I'd forgotten that obviously Southern Europe does actually get quite cold. So I decided that night I'd just still stick with the running vest and shorts. Other runners were in long sleeves and gloves, which was probably a bit more sensible. Um, but we were at the, an old an old racetrack that night and we were doing loops around there. And it was a, it was a tough course because it had hills on it. So two, two hills every lap and we were doing 11 laps. And it was also the night that Christina decided that if she was going to going to win she needed to win this next race so we went off that night and I was sort of maybe lulled into a bit of a false sense of security that you know I'd gone off in front for the last three probably be the same again I just needed to do the same thing I didn't need to do the same thing that night I needed to up my game because Christina went off and we were running about three hour marathon pace I mean we were going so fast and I was rather than being in front I was just sat on her heels thinking okay she can't keep this up forever but loop after loop she was keeping it up um, until we got to the middle part of the race where she put in this big push and uh, I thought she's trying to, to win now this is, this is her big push yeah. and I just didn't know what I had left in me but I thought I've got a choice now do I, do I stick with it and just hold my position or do I fight back 
and I thought I'm going to I'm going to have a go at fighting back. So I ran back up the hill after her and closed the gap. And then I thought she's going to keep doing that, and I'm not going to be able to keep pushing back. So I pushed on again uh, and managed to get us with about a hundred meter lead between us. And I was out in front, but obviously that had hurt a lot. Yeah. Um, and I held that lead right to the last lap. I went into the last lap, still in front. I thought, right, I'm in control now. I've just got to get up these hills. And I got up the hills in front. Uh, I thought, right, I'm in control now. It's about a mile and a half home. No more hills. I'm in fine. And as I, as I come onto the last lap, yeah. um, last bend into the pit lane, which is where the finish was, I can hear, I can feel someone, like this presence next to me. And it's Christina. I don't know if I, I had slowed down, but she must have picked up her speed one way or another. She caught me napping. And <laughs> with about 250 metres to go, we head for the finish line absolutely flat out. I mean, I've never run faster in my life. And I'm, it, I didn't even need to think about running faster. It just happened. I was like, I can't lose this race. I can't have worked so hard and lose this race. And so I surged forward and just about get in front of her cross the line I've never been so exhausted crossing the line and I, I won that race by 13 seconds oh my god and if someone had said to me at the beginning of the week by the way in race 5 you're going to run 3 hours 11 minutes and you're going to win the race by 13 seconds I don't think I've got on that first plate because yeah. I've just said this is too hard I can't do this but it's amazing what you can do in the situation when you need to and we were just both laughing afterwards once we could get our breath because <laughs> I, we were like that is not what we envisage doing yeah. uh, in this in this contest oh my god that's proper nail biting it's, it, it's, it just sounds like yeah. your version of Chariots of Fire my favourite film yeah um, it, it, it felt like that at the night and everyone yeah. and all our other runners were like wow that was amazing to watch you two race so hard <laughs> I was like yeah I wasn't intending to but that's what competition does and it's, yeah. it was just brilliant and, and I think that was actually Christina's fastest marathon as a, as a one-off road marathon so to do that on day five was pretty phenomenal effort yeah um and I just thought I did, but I did also then think how how much has that damaged me for the next two races uh-huh because I was pretty tired at the end of that um no doubt about it but I did my usual thing I had a good stretch washed eighth just tried to look after myself and did have a good long flight um, across the Atlantic down to Santiago and Chile for our penultimate race. So I thought, just get there. So legs up on the side of the plane. Yeah, down. absolutely. Yeah. As much food as you can possibly eat. What were you eating after that one? Um, a lot of, like, they did really nice veggie. I ate quite a lot of veggie food, actually, just because I find it, kind of, I, I prefer it. So lots of, like, pasta. And, and then when, um, in between our meals, there was always um, fruit and nuts and stuff available. And I'd, I'd taken my faithful toffee crisp, which are my absolute <laughs> favourite. So I think I took about 12 with me and none came home. Um, so yeah, always only twelve during seven marathons. Yeah, but I ate a lot of other chocolate as well. Okay, those are just those okay. are just the toffee crisps. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, landed in Santiago after a couple of flights. Good amount of time, but I was like, right, I'm definitely tired. But when you're six out of seven, you're, you can start to see the finish line in Miami. Um, and it was, we had a lovely welcome from from a local running club, and we were in this nice park in in uh, the middle of Santiago. So it's a beautiful setting. The only downside was it was quite a twisty course, and when you're on tired legs, doing up and down and, and left and right turns are not what you want to do. There was one bit where you came over a bridge, and you did a downhill right hill right turn turn down. Like which on my right my right knee, which is the one which doesn't have a lot of cartilage in it, it did not enjoy that bend. So yeah. twelve times I had to sort of take myself on the left bend lead as opposed to then my right leg lead. So it's had to be a bit careful. And um, as much as I tried to eat enough, I was definitely 
a little bit low on fuel. So it's like, just get as much sugar in as you can during yeah. the race. And we were all tired that night, which was definitely reflected in the times. I mean, I finished, that was my slowest one outside Antarctica. That was 3.37. But you still came in. Else. Still came in first? Still came one? in first. Still held up. We were all just sort of coasting around at that point. But we had a great time afterwards because they kept a local gym open for us. So we went and had the, actually three of us girls. So Christina, Stephanie and I went and had the most lovely shower. Like it's almost worth getting so grubby to be able to get clean again. It was just brilliant. <laughs> Felt like new people afterwards. And then we were chatting to the guys and they said, yeah, we didn't have such a good shower. All the water was cold. Oh, no. And I think we, we'd chained all the water washing our hair. <laughs> and I was like, we well, should have run faster. <laughs> um, they got us pizza and it was brilliant. Um, and then something very weird happened at the end of that one. It was the sort of nerve suddenly set in. I sort of, no. I'd never, Mike and I discussed lots of things, lots of situations and how the week was going to go and how I was going to stay focused and enjoy it at the same time. But we'd never discussed being in the lead and also potentially setting a world record. That had never, cro- that never come up in conversations. So I was like, God, I find myself in this weird position that I'd never thought about. So I texted Mike like we'd been doing all week. And he came back with the answer and he said, look, you're nervous because that's what sport's about when you get to those big moments. So you need to channel that into your legs, stay focused, get one more race in you in Miami. And they, I remember he signed off um, his final text message, you will win. I was like, and he, he believed that. And I'm not sure that I did because I had a 19 minute lead. But as everyone knows, the marathon's a long way. 19 minutes could disappear. If something yeah. went wrong, that could disappear in, in very easily. But he said, yeah, you will win. I was like, right, well, he thinks that, and I can't let him down. I don't want to let myself down. So got on the plane to um, to Miami, had some great pasta in the airport, this, like, cheesy pasta dish. I can still remember how good that tasted. So um, fueled, fueled up. And I love the, the fact plate. that all you're talking about is food. Oh, so. my God, it's, honestly, it's, I, I, I can deal with most situations as long as I'm not hungry. Um, and I had a good flight into Miami. Um, and then I mean, by this stage, my legs are very tired. My left hamstring has got very tight, most of me more so than my right but I'm still in one piece, so you're just thinking, right, I've got, if you've done six, suddenly one marathon seems in your head mentally and, like doable, except yeah. you're exhausted. Um, and we got there, it was great, so quite a lot of people have friends and families, family there, so it's sort of like we got off the bus and it was a bit like cheerleaders, and um, the organisers were the same people that organised the Miami Marathon, so they're fantastic. And we were going up and down South Beach and on the on evening, so it was really wonderful Lovely. place to run. Nice and flat beautiful that's exactly what we wanted and it was um five there and back loops so kind of mentally quite doable to count and yeah just just to get going and um, there's a lovely team picture of us at the beginning of the race and we've also got those nervous smiles everyone gets and by this stage i had a 19 minute lead and uh, over christina and then stephanie was after her and three of us were kind of clear but the men's race was really competitive oh. so michael warden was out in front but kind of second to seventh was all really close so that night, rather than everyone just sort of going off at a nice even pace, the guys just fly past. <laughs> and I'm thinking, what the, why are they going so fast? It was only afterwards I dawned on me that they were all racing for position. Yeah. Which made me think I wasn't sure why they didn't run faster in the previous races. Because at this point, I think all I've got to do is another 3.30 marathon. Because Christina's going to have to run 19 minutes quicker than that to beat me, which would be the same time she'd done in Madrid. Now, if she's got that in her, amazing. Because I don't have that time in me yeah. again. So I'm thinking, if I can just run 3.30, that's all I've got to do. And so I was just... And that's that night, my technique really had to hold up. And that's where I was so grateful for 
all the sessions I've done at the running school because well, yeah. when my legs were tired, what you really need to do is use your arms. Yes. Because they're your little pistons and your legs follow the rhythm of your arms. And so I just kept thinking arms, 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 keep using your arms. And it doesn't matter how tired you are, your legs will follow and you keep up a nice even pace. And um, went out in front, actually, Stephanie caught me up after a few K, so that kind of gave me a bit of a scare. But again, I was just able to sit out in front. Um, and just hold it. I mean, but saying that, I did only win that one by 91 seconds. Christina was coming back at me again. Like, it was properly competitive oh my running. God. It, just, it just sounds like a film. This sounds yeah. like a film. Why is this not a film? Well, it's, it's a book now. But it was just, and but I just so owe it to every other competitor because if I'd been out there doing that race by myself, it would have been miserable. But when you've got 40 other people that are all going through the same thing, it doesn't matter whether you're running it in three and a half hours or five and a half hours, you're still all having to run a marathon. And there were some just lovely people. I mean, the oldest competitor was a lovely guy called Dan. He was 76. And he did every marathon without complaining and got through it. So how oh, you know, that kind of inspires you that whatever you're doing, someone else has got their own challenge and is doing it. And of course. think, how incredible is running that we all share this thing we do at our own speed and whatever, but we're all united by doing this thing. And um, it, was a strange, it was a strange evening because I couldn't... As I was running the last few kilometres... I was trying to think what happens when you cross the finish line because all week what happened when you cross the finish line was you tried to stretch, wash, eat and get ready for the next race. Yeah. Of course, that wasn't going to happen. I was like, I could, I literally couldn't. My brain wouldn't go as to what happened the moment I crossed the finish line. So I just running in there. And of course, like most things in life, you think you're going to be deliriously happy when you achieve something wonderful, like whether it's exam results or a sporting achievement, something at work. I don't know if it's just the same for everyone, but I just felt utter relief. I just crossed the line and thought, brilliant, I didn't mess up that last race because that's what it felt like. All I could do was just mess it up. That was it, not elation? No, it, like, that came afterwards. But initially I was just utterly relieved that, that I'd crossed the line as I needed to and, and, and won, the, won the competition and set a new world record at the same time. And then, then you sort of get a weird, well, it's not an anti-climax because you're really happy, but you think, well, what am I going to do now? You'd be so focused on this one thing. Um, but no, it was wonderful. Um, and it was so I finished that at sort of 1 a.m. in Miami, and so it was about 7 a.m. here, so everyone was sort of waking up. Mm. And I got some lovely messages and like amazing amount of media interest, which I think is sort of partly amateurs doing a nice, you know, amazing challenge, something a bit different. Running, I think, inspires people. It's also not about Brexit. So we had loads and loads of people wanting to want to talk to me and write about it, which was just a bit surreal, but very nice. Um, and yeah, I spent the rest of that sort of next day in, in Miami just doing calls and responding to things and um, yeah, seeing it all sort of get, get talked about. Yeah, I think and I spoke then, to you very... You, I was you, on the Friday, so that was... Yeah, I finished you're back home. Yeah, I just got yeah. home. I actually just been to the BBC and done an interview with them, which was great. They were really supportive. Yeah. They love a good sporting story. And then, yeah, chatted to the likes of, of you and lots of other people. And, yeah, for the first time in my life, people actually wanted to talk to me about running. I was like, it's never happened before. <laughs> and, yeah, and people think, well, the funny thing is that people might sort of listen to this or think, gosh, she knows loads of stuff that I don't. It's not true. I'm still feel like I have so much to learn yeah but people once you've achieved one thing people go oh well she must know what she's doing like, well I did for that week but there's still lots of things I want to do that seem quite daunting to me so you just yeah, keep learning sure. um so um Mike who you've spoken about quite a bit during this yeah. um so we both know Mike and um I've actually seen video of you 
before and after. It's not for before, is it? <laughs> You've not seen mine. Um, so I, I've been to the running school in Bristol. Um, and this is just a, a fantastic outfit. So it's in Bristol and London, isn't it? Yeah, they've got, um, and they've got other centres as well. And it's just, um, it feels like um, the place that every runner needs to go. Um, and until I'd heard about the running school, and I heard about the running school through you, and then through a friend as well who'd gone there. And all I knew about it was that that they would sort of do a gait analysis of some kind. Mm. And 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 before then, I'd always thought with running that you, you sort of go to a physio after you've injured yourself. And then that physio would look at that one thing that was wrong with you. So I'd been to physios quite a lot over the last sort of 20 years. And... You know, I've had tendonitis, I've had shin splints, I've had things wrong with my... I think I had a stress fracture in one foot that went undiagnosed. And anyway, you you get a catalogue of usual kind of running complaints. And then that physio who I'd go and see, not a specific one, a clutch of them, I think that's what you call a a crowd of physios, um, they would just look at that one thing and they would look at my knee or my hamstring or my back or something... Mm -hmm. Um, and then through exercise and the usual sort of rehabilitation that they would sort of you know it would be kind of I would try and rehabilitate myself back into running and usually the way in which I'd get back into running was kind of just rest rather than the Mm -hmm. strength exercises because I'm a bit of a bugger for not doing that anyway so when I heard about this place and having a bit of an ongoing calf issue it felt like um, a little miracle that this was a place that was physio but specifically for runners and it was preventative and it was all about yeah. form and making you a better runner and looking at you holistically as a runner I think that's incredible and I don't understand why it's not everywhere where why Mike isn't franchised well he's quite busy so he does have a lot of people he's looking after but <laughs> I totally agree everything everything you talk about is normally you get an injury and then you get fixed the running school is all about just don't get an injury if you run properly to start with doesn't mean you're not going to get aches and pains you're not going to hurt after a marathon because you are if you ask your body to run 26.2 miles but you shouldn't break that's the point and when you do get niggles and a bit of injuries people like you say often rest oh well that's great because that's what physios always tell you because it's the safest thing Mm. if you rest kind of nothing can go wrong but if you rest you're not using your body and you're not fixing what the core problem is Yeah. so sometimes I used to turn up feeling a bit achy or whatever and they'd still have me doing all these horrible strength exercises yeah I think that was quite um it's like get on with it because your body has got to learn to get stronger yeah. and move properly. And, and I think um, that that felt quite um, different and life changing too. Yeah. In that both Mike and Chris at the running school were saying, "We never tell people to stop running." Yeah. And I thought, "Oh, that's that's completely different." Yeah. I am so used to going to physios who say, "Right, you can't run for this number of weeks, and then you can yeah. do this, that, and the other." And what they do at the running school? So if you're really sore and uncomfortable, they put you on a treadmill to walk backwards. Like, why would you walk backwards? It, unlo- it unlocks everything. It's the most wonderful. Walk for 20 minutes backwards, the sort of 30 seconds on, 15 seconds off for 20 minutes, and you've unlocked everything that's that's been locked up. So it's movement is the key to fixing you. Yeah. It's basically kind of what the running school is all about, and the strength work and everything that then backs that up. And it's com- it's a completely different philosophy to anything else I've, I've ever come across. It's amazing. I feel, yeah, it just, it feels, now it's, it's got to a stage now where, me and you and some other people in the UK have started a running school cult stroke religion, depending yeah. on the numbers. Um, 
And I just, I just feel like I need to broadcast this from the yeah. rooftops. You know, don't just fix that tiny thing. No. Start right from the basics. And the thing I love most, I mean, some people have therapy, but I go to the running school every week. Mm-hmm. I do feel like it is my therapy session because you go there, but you're also there with lots of other people. So yeah. Probably maybe three or four of you training at any one point. And those three or four other people could be kids that are four years old that have had injuries or they're hyperactive or whatever and their parents are getting them to move properly right from the outset which I feel like I wish I'd known that yeah done that or they might be people that are sort of older and have had injuries or have got issues and hip issues or they've had a hip replacement and they're being made to walk again so at least they're comfortable and they can move and everything in between from those of us wanting to try and nail how fast we can run a marathon to people that just want to do a park run mm. to people that take up running in their 50s and get really good at it like if you go through the running school it doesn't matter what you want to achieve you will move better yeah which makes you happier it makes you more comfortable it makes you more confident so what um, was wrong with you why did you go what i went Mike there because i'd had my knee operation and i'd got back to running in 2017 I thought it was running okay. I mean, I'd, I'd run another decent London marathon, but I would fall over, I would catch my toe, and I took a couple of absolute perlers. I'd won the South Downs Marathon, which was an off-road one, but I'd fallen over about 500 metres before the line. Um, and there's a great picture. I crossed the line, and I've literally I've got a nosebleed. I've got blood pouring down my knees. Oh, no. And I just thought, I can't... What, something is not right here. I should not be falling over. Mm. And I, I just came across a running school on social media. So I just saw it and thought, look, I'm going to give it a go. You sign up for six sessions, right? If it's if I don't like it, that's not the rest of my life signed away. Yeah. And just went there. It was just eye-opening from day one. And, and what they discovered with me, as you have seen from my terrible video, was that they were like, I don't know how you're running as fast as you are at that technique. And I, I was basically dragging myself forwards, sort of using my upper body. And I was all at an angle, which meant that, of course, when I tripped, I just went straight down because I had no core holding me up. I had no cycle on my my heels so I didn't have a clean heel cycle I was over striking which is like breaking every time when your feet are out in front of you and another reason that I was tripping myself up was I was letting my feet cross over so I was literally falling over my own feet sometimes rather than running on two clear tracks Mm. and in six sessions they'd started to address all of that so I was moving differently and that's what you build on you reinforce that time and time again yeah so it doesn't mean you can't fall over from time to time I did fall over a tree root this summer but that was the tree root's fault not mine (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I don't fall over my own feet anymore my yeah. muscles importantly at the end of a marathon now I ache in the right places so my hamstrings ache down the back of my legs and my glutes my bum that's the bit that powers you along aches but my knees don't ache my ankles don't ache my hips don't ache you you, you hurt with the big muscle groups right because they're doing all the work Brilliant. whereas yeah. before I was letting my joints and the smaller muscle groups take the flat while the, the, the glutes really are the absolute key to running and the problem is in modern life we spend all our time sat down so we are literally deactivating our body and our bodies get used to thinking that um, your bum is just for sitting on it's not for moving so when you get up and run your glute doesn't engage so all, everything else has to overwork and crucially also your hip flexors get shorter because we sit at 90, 90 degree angle the whole time rather yeah. than vertical so everything you do at the running school is sort of countering that and then just making you a better runner and also it's great when you're racing at the weekend and they go right so what are you doing other people are going off and doing a race as well like you feel like you're part of a wider team yeah because um, I mean I love running because I get to have quiet time and it's peaceful and, but actually to be part of a team that's helping you get better is a really nice thing as well so you're, you're still going to the running school now every week religiously um, <laughs> 
Crow's beer. Yeah. And um, so why are you going now? What's your next challenge? So it's the interesting one. That was the hardest question after World Marathon Challenge. It's like, what next? What next? I was like, can I just enjoy this for a bit? No. And I, was, <laughs> I, I, I only allow myself that for a short amount of time. I still want to get faster. So I'm signed up in, in April to Manchester Marathon, which is brilliant. Really fast and flat. Loved, mm-hmm. loved it this year. Set my new PB of 2.56 there. So I'll have a go, see if I go a bit faster. Going out to Boston to tick off my fifth world major uh, uh, two weeks later. Oh and then God. six days after that, I'm going to do my uh, what will be my 12th London marathon. Um, but of course, six days in between now, I'm like, oh, that'll be okay. Having, having done <laughs> seven in a week. Yeah, I, think, I don't think London will be too fast. But yeah, that's what I'm going to try and do. And then actually, I enjoyed doing some ultra marathons this summer. Um, I did a good 100k, um, the Action Challenge 100k at the start of... Um, September, which is partly to Henley along the Thames. And oh, yeah. did that in 9.27, which was nearly an hour off my previous best time. So that was good. Wow. Um, so I'm going to maybe have a go at a few more ultras during the summer because it's quite fun sort of losing a day to running. But the marathon will be where my heart always is. Yeah. Because I just love, it's such a random distance. And yet it's, it's coming to define what the human body can do, whether it's the sub two-hour marathon that's been achieved, the new female world record is... Sort of, you got the hundred meters at the sprint end, and now you've got the marathon at the long distance end, and we're just going to see how fast the human body can keep going. Yeah, so, um, speaking of the marathon and asking for a friend, um, what tips, what advice would you have for a London marathoner embarking on that for the first time? Um, well, yeah, so a lot of people will be starting signed up now, won't they? So it's a good good time of year to, to ask that. So hypothetically, if you were going to run the marathon, Esther, I would totally say, hypothetically, hypothetically um, you've got to get into the habit of running. Um, so I, I think unless you're running five times a week, I don't think you start to teach your body that you're a runner, and I think you need to have that mentality. When people say, oh, I haven't run for two weeks, I'm like, well, how are you going to get back into it? So even if it's just three short runs in the week, whenever you can fit them in, you know, to half an hour is better than nothing. And then a couple of longer ones at the weekend. Um, there's a load of good training guides out there. Um, make use of them. Do kind of get the interval work done. Keep up things like if you don't do a part run, stick at it, because actually doing that fast 5K on Saturday morning is really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um what else would I say? Yeah, getting into the rhythm of the training. Um, buying yourself some nice kit does always make you feel better, especially if it's going to be cold and horrible, which it will be inevitably between now and April at some point. Um, it's always quite nice having kit you want to wear. Um, actually, it's a great time to train over Christmas because you can just eat all the favourite Christmas things. If you're, if you're putting the miles in, you actually need the fuel. Yeah. Um, and I, the other thing I do is, as well as the training miles, I like to enter races. I find it much easier to put in the better times and to really test myself running. Mm-hmm. If you get up on a Sunday morning, sometimes the thought of 13 miles by yourself can be a bit grim. Yeah. The thought of a half marathon with few hundred other mad people that have also got out of bed early and they really want to and, and go and race in a new setting actually really helps me yeah um i did that during during world Marathon challenge i'd race a lot of weekends because it was much more fun doing it with other people mm-hmm. um so there's some great prep races and i think you definitely wanted to want to have raced over 20 miles before you get to london marathon start line then you sort of you can hang on for those last six, but if it's, it'll be a real confidence boost if you've, if you've done a 20-mile race. Yeah. 
that will give you a good good basis for training. And just also remember that like, running the London Marathon is just one of life's great events. If you'll say to me, you know, should you do it? Like, if only 5% of you wants to do it, go and do it. Because when you cross that line and someone puts that medal around your neck, it just does feel wonderful. My favourite bit of it this, this year, actually, is it has become when I get home and I sort of shower and you eat and you watch the highlights that are always there on BBC about six o'clock, aren't they? You just yeah. think, I'm just like one person part of that sort of magical event. I'm somewhere down there, always trying to spot yourself. Obviously, you can't. But it's just some, wonderful to be part of something that's so special to so many people. Yeah. And it's so beautifully organised and it's just, it's just a great race. And what you get out of it is a lot more than what you put in even if even if you train hard like just having done it and achieved it is a, is a really wonderful thing yeah I, um, I was thinking about it this week um, for other reasons um, and I was just remembering how sort of intrinsically linked I feel to the London Marathon I'm from London um, my dad applied to run it in the first the first London Marathon and then it was 81 wasn't it I yeah and one, didn't yeah. do it because of injury yeah um, and my mum did do it later on in the 80s I think late 80s she did it um, and I remember cheering her on but I also marshalled it I think it was through a friend's brother I think um, I, mar- I remember being on the Isle of Dogs and handing out water um, but just watching it every single year and just yeah feeling tearful every single year and I watched it with my six-year-old son this year and watched when Hayley Carruthers fell before the finisher I was in bits yeah I was and he was like why are you crying mommy and I was like oh my god I can just I can feel her I can feel that pain yeah I was front of the private eye that picture as well again it just resonates oh just amazing and I remember I always get the train out from Charing Cross to Blackheath and you always end up having an interesting conversation so one year I chatted to a guy who'd done every single one except the first two or something, which just made you feel so humble when you sit next to me. You're like, you've run that many. How have you done that? Yeah. This year I sat next to two women who, they're in, they must have been in their late 50s, and they just they come and run the London Marathon every year, and they raise loads of money for charities, and they've done it for sort of the last 15 years. Mm. You just think, how incredible that. It was going to take them five and a half hours. So, I mean, I was going to be, like, having a drink and chilling out by the time they'd cross finish that and I kind of admire those people more yeah it's all very it's all very well if you run three hours and great you know well done but you're back home at lunchtime yeah brilliant you know it's really easy those people that are out there taking five and a half hours if you, especially if it's a horrible weather day as well I mean they are the true heroes what's been your what's been your favourite marathon uh, obviously probably London consistently I'm very fond of Manchester now because that's my fastest I did back, back a few years ago I went to the Great Wall of China Marathon uh-huh. and running on the Great Wall is kind of that's a very special thing yeah um, some wonderful races you can do around the world so yeah that, that was good uh, Place to Home Dublin's another really good one I enjoyed um and then I, I like the smaller ones as well, actually, where it's a bit low pre- less pressure. You don't have to queue for 40 minutes for the portaloo and things. Yeah. Um, you know, I do things like Gloucester and places that are really close to home. That, and you get some really good club runners, so you can still you get the sort of like atmosphere a bit, but it's just nicer. You don't have to turn up quite so far in advance, and you can park your car and run and, and then get off home. Um, that's the joy of marathon running there's just no if people say oh, I haven't got time or I can't do it, rubbish there's so many races and runs you can do if you want to want to be a runner you can you can be a runner well how do you then <clears throat> when you're saying run five times a week how do you fit that in with a full-time job um I get out of bed earlier or I go off to work I tend to do I do a morning run I can just do a steady state one I'm not doing sprint intervals first thing because my body's too sleepy 
Um, so yeah, I do a steady state, and then I just get try and leave work on time, do the gym session, whatever I want to do, and then maybe do some more work in the evening. But like anything in life, you fit in the things you want to do, don't you? When people say, "Oh, how do you fit in the training?" I would say, "Well, I fit in the time. Like I watch most MasterChef episodes if I possibly can, right? <laughs> so if I've got time to watch MasterChef, yeah. I've probably got time to do the strength training or anything else I yeah. need to do to be a runner. And it's that sort of." I'm not someone that's going to get up, go to work, come home, go to bed. That's just the battery chicken lifestyle. If, if other people want to do that, fine. But I like to have something in my day that is the thing I do. And most of that time, it's normally a, normally a run because that's my thing that I do. You feel better. It doesn't matter how much work you've got to do. If you can find time, just even for a 45-minute run, yeah. you will come back and do all the rest of the stuff you need to do better than you would otherwise do it. I absolutely agree. Yeah. I, I, I did think that I was... A sort of Netflix stroke bake off person. I am still that person. Yeah, um, exactly. But definitely the running in the morning for me makes my day much more productive yeah. and me much happier. But that's not rocket science. And I know that everyone has come, well, a lot of people have come to that conclusion from my community. Yeah. And it, as much as technology is wonderful, it's the just going running and just having that space. You're not looking at a screen, you're not talking to anyone. You're not having to answer to anything and just you get that space and, and, and we're creating a world that is just noisier and noisier and busier and busier and we never switch our brains off like we're constantly in a kind of acute stress sort of phase where we're just chronically overloading our brains mm-hmm. um, and running just seems to be the best detox for that yeah there was uh, I was speaking to um, a runner oddly enough um, who had done a 24 hour lapped timed yeah it was an awful things. thing yeah it sounded absolutely horrific but she was saying that her daughter i think had said to her at the end what did you think about because i don't think she listened she didn't wear any headphones or anything mm-hmm. um and i think the lap was it was just like just over a mile or something it was a really short lap yeah um and she said she couldn't remember thinking about anything at all that's how much she switched off so she switched off entirely yeah. for 24 hours yeah I often, I start runs and everything's whirling through my head, so all the deadlines we've got, emails you need to do, whatever. And then, yeah, you get to a lovely point where your brain just stops doing that. And what are you thinking about? And I've got no idea. And then when you really get into the endorphin phase, and you tend to get more in the sort of ultra marathons where you're just out, you're, you're running that little bit slower and you're just out in the middle of nowhere running. And you can't hold on to a thought. It's a bit like a cloud. Like you try and do something, but basically what's happening is it's completely logical reason that your body's sending all the energy to your limbs and your heart and your lungs because they're working and it's basically not sending much energy to your brain because you're not doing anything. So when you do try and think about anything or concentrate, like sometimes I literally forget how many hours I've been running. If I get into a big long race, I'll, have I been running for six hours or seven hours? What time did I start? <laughs> and it's the most basic calculation, but your brain can't do it because it's just you know it's it's not what it hasn't got the energy everything's going to the rest of the body but that is that lovely empty feeling where you are thinking about nothing it is lovely when the stress when the, the, that sick stress feeling the kind of yeah. i'm stressed about work or i'm stressed about the kids or whatever yeah. it's lovely when that does disappear but it, yeah. I, I feel that you need to go for quite some time before it does complete yeah you i think a half hour run doesn't quite cut no it. you need to do i think an hour is probably about the time frame yeah, and you can run if you're fueled up. You can run for about an hour on what you've eaten before you have to switch to your reserves. So, an hour is an hour is a good time to to find out. And we should we shouldn't all lead such busy lives that we can't find an hour, even if it's not every day. If it's three or four times a week, 
So just go and do something that you enjoy. Yeah. I mean, if we've created lives for ourselves that we can't do that, it's a pretty sad state of affairs. Technology and things is meant to help us. It's not meant to make our lives so busy we forget to do the things we actually enjoy doing and yeah. that are really good for us. So what's the... Um, you've done all these marathons. You've also done ultras. So what's the difference in training for a marathon to an ultra? Not vastly different because in an ultra, you do not go out and run the vast long distance in training. Um, a lot of ultra runners, you, again, not marathons, you don't really go much above 20 miles in one go. Um, the key bit is always the intervals because they get you fit. Um, so just very similar, but the interval training. And then you is that sprint intervals or hill intervals? or Both have the same effect. I tend to do sprint intervals on the treadmill. Well, I'm actually fundamentally quite lazy. And the idea of making myself go out and run fast <laughs> for 90 seconds, stop. I can't do it. <laughs> but if you put the treadmill at 16 kilometres an hour, you actually have to run that fast or there's going to be a horrible accident. Yeah. And I can do that. And I quite like the numbers in front of me. And it's like, it just means like, you're focused for 90 seconds and off you get. Or, or the other ones I do, I do, I do eight times four minutes. So they're hard, mm. really hard intervals. But yes, I do mine on the treadmill, but a lot of people just do them outside. I think if you're in a running club or you're doing them with other people, sprints outside are quite nice. Mm-hmm. Actually, in the summer, the running school, we were, out, we're at Wasp Rugby Ground, so you go out on the grass and do intervals. I remember one session this summer, Mike just had me running the width of the rugby pitch, like for what felt like days, but I was just, I had to get faster <laughs> as I crossed it every single time, which is a really fun game to start with. Yeah. But like when you're doing it for about the 50th time, you're like, okay, I'm actually quite tired now. But it was fun. That was outside. It was, that was a good, good summer evening session. Um, just what you have to find what works for you. If you hate the treadmill, do not go on the treadmill, right? You will never learn to love it if you fundamentally hate it. Um, you just work out what, what, what works for you. I've just come, um, just before this, I was just meeting up with the people that do, that make Zwift, um, which seemed like a very clever idea. I mean, I know people that have used it for bikes in the past, but I don't actually know anyone that uses it for running as yet. I'm sure I will do now. Um, But that seemed like a very interesting way, especially over the winter, especially... um, and horribly, if you're a woman, if you you know running yeah. in the winter is has all sorts of issues, including safety. Um, and so, if you have access to a treadmill and one of these little pods, you can chuck them on your shoe, and then you can watch a little avatar of you running through some rather lovely landscapes. I I, I could immediately see the benefit in terms of things like yeah. doing speed training, um, doing yeah, getting all that stuff out of the way in the safety of home. Yeah, and if it is cold and wet or icy and whatever, right? Yeah, you, you just literally can't get out and do it. Yeah, and then um, a half an hour or so on the treadmill in a safe place is a, is a very nice way of doing it. Yeah, yeah. So again, mix it up. Like if you obviously did five days in a row on the treadmill, it would be really boring. Yes. Um, but you just got got to be sensible. Yeah. So um, the other thing that we haven't we've touched on but we haven't really spoken about is your book. So you and Mike have written a book which you've just i have just pressed send today on the final <gasps> copy so it's gone to print yeah i mean just as i never thought i'd run seven marathons on seven continents in seven days i didn't ever think i'd write a book about it but um again it was mike was like should we write a book and of course like all mike's ideas it was a really good one I was like, yeah <laughs> and then then you have that horrible moment where you think we've actually agreed to do something i now actually have to sit and write it so yeah. once i got back in in february sort of february to may weekends were spent writing with no real idea of where it was going i thought i'm just gonna we, we did the broad sections which are split into how i got into running the training uh which is the sort of september to january period then the races and then sort of what's happened since 
because I very much wanted it to be a book that would help other people, whether they want to run the seven marathons challenge or something else, but just not just a book about aren't I great? I did this challenge, but like yeah. how I actually did it to show there's no secrets. Like you can take a perfectly decent runner and get them to run really well and do something extraordinary just through training and working hard. And you know, back to the books that I read, it is all about grit, determination, how much you're willing to commit. Yeah. Um, so that's what the book is all about. It was great to write with Mike because he's got the expertise, so he adds a bit of science to it. Mm-hmm. And it's got all of the training programs that I did, literally every session, um, as well as the sort of stories of, of, of the marathons, which I touched on here as well. Um, so it's called Running Around the World, How I Ran Seven Marathons in Seven Days and Seven Continents. And yeah, it's going to be when out. When is it out? It's going to be out in the middle of December. Just waiting for the exact date. But it's quite nice. I've already had a few emails from people that are running next year's World Marathon Challenge. And they're like, we can see it listed, but it's not available. Yet. I said, it's coming, it's coming. So that's at least a couple of people that are going to read it. But and also, there's not very many marathon books by women. No. But really oddly, when you, and, and I saw this reference the other day, and I thought, yeah, that is really odd. Because you've now got more women running marathons, but I don't think we're sharing our story that much no, there's it's not still left to men to write books so yeah we, more women need to write books absolutely they, they certainly do there's um there is a real lack of running books actually by women mm. and kind of running training books yeah there's, there's running experience books but yeah well. exactly but it's sort of serious and there's some really good female ultra runners now who i hope want to write write books yeah like come on jasmine it. paris exactly you know. <laughs> um and so hopefully this sort of touches on that and it's and a genuinely interesting read and and useful if you want to take on challenge like ah this is how you do it i cannot imagine what it would be like to finish one marathon and think to myself oh you know what i'm going to do another one tomorrow and the day after she's surprisingly normal for a person that's able to have those thoughts even if she is a bit nuts about toffee crisps why would you choose those when there's cadbury's fruit and nut available i hope you enjoyed it As ever, give me a shout with anyone else you'd like me to chat to. And in the meantime, pick up Susanna's book. It's called Running Around the World. It's available pretty much everywhere and it's brilliant. And I totally mean that because I'm quoted on the back saying so. At Women's Running, we want to inspire you to run, whether you've never run before or you're training for your fifth ultramarathon. We think that women who run need a space for themselves and we want to be that. Every month, we talk all things running and all things women. From training plans for specific distances to interviews with incredible runners, ideas on how to improve your running and remain injury-free, to delicious recipes to fuel your running and tons of advice on women's health. The easiest way to get hold of a copy is to go to our online shop at shop.womensrunning.co.uk or you could get it delivered direct to your door or to your inbox every month by subscribing. You can buy the digital edition at pocketmags.com or download the app to your phone or tablet through your app store. For all the different ways to read the magazine, go to shop.womensrunning.co.uk. Do join us. We would love to have you with us. Happy running. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi 
Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.